This is CliffCentral.com. Future CEOs on CliffCentral.com. Welcome to Future CEOs here on Cliff Central. My name is Gareth Armstrong. We're live from Johannesburg, South Africa. And it is a great pleasure to welcome you, to our listeners, to the show. And then we've got another fantastic CEO lined up for the, the discussion that we're going to have today. What do we do here on Future CEOs? Well, it's all about closing the gap between you and those who have, who we look up to, those who have gone before and are succeeding in certain kind of ways and we're looking at them when we're admiring them. Why do we do this? Well, it's to help you expedite the growth of your career, the growth of your business, make sure that you also potentially don't make some of the mistakes that those who have come before have made. They're going to guide us through some of this. Greg, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome to Cliff Central. Welcome to Future CEOs. Thanks, Gareth. Thanks for having me on the show. We so appreciate you being here. Um, but what we're not going to do is we're not going to change the way that we do things, which is always to ask the CEO or our guests to introduce themselves. We're always interested to see how they do it. Uh, there's some insights there for us. Please, would you take 30 seconds, a minute, and just introduce yourself to us and to the, the listeners who are, are out there? Sure, sure. Um, Gareth, I'm the CEO of a company called Bravo Group. Um, we are furniture and sleep product manufacturers. We've got uh, 10 factories and assembly sites around southern and eastern Africa. Mm. Um, and we manufacture and market brands like uh, Sealy, Edblow, King Coil, Slumberland. Yeah, these, on, these on are, the bidding these are, side. And then Lazy Boy on the and, other and side. And on the lounge side. So we've got the two major divisions, the, the sleep products division. And then on the lounge side, we've also got Lazy Boy, which is also under license mm. from the States. We've got Grafton Everest, a household name uh, in the country. Goma Goma, also a household name. And then Alpine Lounge as well. That's a little bit of pressure there. I mean, a Lazy Boy, you, there's a certain expectation around that, that it sounds like you have to in large part fulfill. A oh, certainly, yes, yes. Well, we, we've got an obligation to the licensor. Uh, we've also got obligations to licensors like Sealy and King Coil as well. Yeah. And our obligations are to make sure that the brands grow in, in the countries that we operate in. So when, whenever I have, uh, I'm the, I'm the princess and I feel the pee, but it's not really a pee, it's the, it's the, the mattress and it's a Sealy. We actually shouldn't be saying, damn, Sealy. We should be saying, bravo group. Greg, From, what's going on here? Yeah, sure. Okay. Sure. Interesting. Yes. Look, we, we, customer service is, is what it's all about. And I don't think our company would have grown over the years if we hadn't concentrated on customer service. In fact, Bravo Group itself started in 1895. It's an old organization. It's a very old organization. as the Transvaal Mattress Company in those days, and that's uh, we've grown from there. Yeah, and you also have a fascinating journey. So I think you've done a really good introduction on Bravo Group. <laughs> I'm very interested in, in, in you as a CEO, and, and so an organization like that needs a specific kind of a leader. And also what also seems to happen is that there are different moments for different types of leaders to be placed into an organization. That's partly why boards exist, to be able to measure what it is. And now you've been asked to step in. You were asked to step in in about 2013 or yes, so. Yes. Can you give us a little bit of background? Yes. it's uh, <laughs> The furniture industry over the last probably 10 odd years has gone through some tough times on mm. the retail side especially. And obviously what's happened on the retail side has an impact on the manufacturing side. Um, back in back in 2013, our CEO at the time uh, left the company, and um, the 
the shareholders or the, the the directors put in somebody else as a CEO, and um, and I, I took one look at I was a CFO at the time, and after a month I thought to myself, you know, this guy's going to destroy the business. Oh wow! And um, we had a shareholders agreement that 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 needed. Um, quite a large majority to approve the appointment of a CEO and directors and, and the, the, the like. And um, we went into a board meeting after a month, and um, one of the items on the agenda would have been, you know, appointment of the CEO confirmation. Mm. And mm. and I just uh, had told the chairman and one of the directors before, and that, that you know management wasn't happy about it. So I had to I had to object in the board meeting, and mm. it, it was it was really tough because I had the guy sitting next to me that I was objecting to. Wow! And um, yeah, uh, about a month later, the the board decided he had to move on, and um, they, uh, I certainly didn't do it for myself to become the CEO. But absolutely, uh, that that's what actually happened. So I, I just felt that this guy. He tried to rule by fear, and mm. um, that's just not my style or how I thought our company needed to be ruled so mm. or led. And um, so, yeah, so I've been the CEO since then. Uh, it, it takes a certain kind of, of courage and steel to be able to do that. I'm very interested to explore how that steel and courage has developed over time with with you. The uh, I, I, I kind of just want to take a, a couple of steps back as we do that, though. So let, let's let's begin a little bit with your journey, if we can. Sure. So you you grew up where? Uh, just tell us a little bit okay. about the formative years sure. of, of of you, please. Yeah. Um. One of four, uh, five children, um, and grew up in Durban. Um, had a good education. I went to St. Henry's, the Tamaris Brothers School in, in Durban. Um, when I left school, I was, uh, only 16. I'd started school young and finished young. And as you d- did in those days, I went off to the army and, um, they took one look at me in the, the Senior guy then said to me, "Does your mother know that you're here?" <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, "Yeah." So he says, "No, you're too young to be in the army because okay. I, was, I was 16." Yeah. And um, so I went home, and my dad, who was in practice as an accountant, um, said to me, "So, well, you start work for me tomorrow." All right. And um, that's how I became a, a, an accountant. I signed up articles, and um, I did I did everything part time. Um, in fact, it. In those days, it was six years part-time, and um, so I did that part-time, and then after that, I went on and specialized for another two years part-time in, in tax. Mm. I did tax as well. Um, so, and then I went to the, the army when I was old enough to go to the army. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, that, when that same uh, CEO of sorts c- could say, okay, all right, you're w- welcome back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and then, I, yes. I, I see that, that your father's had a, a big influence on your career. I, I see that it has come out in, in our notes here. Uh, just can you, can you tell us a little bit more about that? I yes, mean, my dad, uh, you know, my dad, he, <laughs> as an example of, of perseverance, um, he wrote the board exam 12 times. And oh, wow. I forget what years. That must have been probably in the 40s or 50s. Um, and um, But he eventually qualified, and he was in partnership uh, with Sodrill with his cousin in Durban as a, in a small firm. And I think when he retired, it was a sort of small to medium-sized uh, firm in Durban, and that's where I did articles. Okay. Um, when I left, uh, when I finished articles and I qualified, I said that I wanted to move on and um, – Sort of developed for myself, so I joined a couple of guys in Amschlonga in a okay. small practice there, 
And after about five years in practice, I decided I wanted to see what the outside world was like rather than, than being in practice. And that's when I went into industry. The, the, uh, I mean, again, there's a cor- courageous step there. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing as a common theme that we're going to have to explore this, cor- this courage thing. The, uh, as I consider you as a CEO now, and I, I consider a little bit of what we're going to be revealing uh, as your, as part of your career and your growth and your development, the, 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 the standout question for me is at any point, Initially, anyway. So you've described how your father pulled you in and said, "You're going to start working for me." And you've got a, you've got positive things to say, but have you resented that at all, at, at, in in any form or fashion? Because when when I ask the question, what is what what really drives you? Very few people say accounting or finance, um, and and so I'm just I'm I'm just trying to figure out you a little bit here. Yeah, um, when I was at school, I always had a dream of being a farmer. Okay. But um, my dad always said to me, well, if you want to become a farmer, you become an accountant first, and then you buy your own farm at a later stage. Mm. And um, I've stayed as, as an accountant, and I haven't bought my farm. Uh, but, not, uh, not yet. Yeah, but I don't really have any regrets about it. The, uh, the language of finance is certainly a very important language to learn. In your experience, have you had – um, moments where you've been frustrated because it's such because it's such a vital language and not all people can speak it. Um, can you can you speak about maybe a moment or two where that has been a frustration for you? Um, understanding the financials of a company and is yeah, that yeah, what we're yeah, talking about? Yeah, yeah you know. Um, well, fortunately, in our group, if I can liken it to our group, we've mm. got in the various divisions. Each division has got its own strong management team mm. and within the management team you will have a an accountant a, a cfo a, a sort of um, a cfo for the for the division you'll have a, a chief executive a sales exec and all that sort of thing so um so so each division although the the other execs wouldn't really understand the numbers in detail you would certainly have a, a financial person who would understand the numbers and help direct that the numbers in that division in, uh, I, I do understand that a lot mm. of CEOs and, and I would say almost 50%, maybe a little bit higher that come through this door and we speak to are, have a finance background. The, uh, often because of fi- a financial background, people are quite tight fisted with, with money. Is that something that, that you feel, um, burdens, burdened with or is it something that has actually enabled you? Look, there's obviously different characters across the spectrum. Yes. And um, from from our point of view, it's possibly as you get older, I don't know, but I would say to a certain extent you become fairly risk-averse, mm. um, and especially with the responsibility that you carry as well. Um, you, you know, you can't just go out and maybe do things that you might have done if it was your own money that you were managing. So um, when you when you – Responsible to a board of directors and responsible to to outside lenders and the, the, the likes of those, uh, then you have to be risk averse, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's. Um, how, how do you make how do you make the decisions that you need to? So, in in your position, you've got 
uh, I think over 3,000 people that report into the group itself yeah. Yeah. Uh, as a, as a, in, to, in total. Yeah. You, you've got a large operation that does large amounts of revenue. And so when you make a decision, that decision has a, a quite a fair distance of, of travel and echo yeah. and impact. How do you f- approach the decision-making process? Well, you've obviously got to work through the, st- the formal structures in a group, and I account to the board. So um, we, what we would do is we would present our plans to the board um, and have some vigorous discussions at the board about our plans. And, and you know, we've got non-exec uh, board members as well who would give their input from their experiences elsewhere. And um, once we've come to an agreement with the board on what the strat will be and where the plan should go, then it's really up to us as management um, to execute. Yeah, to enable, yeah. And um, just from an execution point of view, I I certainly believe um, that it's not any one individual that that runs the business. I I see the business as a team of people. Mm. Um, And even in, in our little head office, we run as a team, um, even though we've got the, the, the teams at the divisions as well. You started uh, quite low in the Bravo group. Is that correct? Yeah, I started off um, in in High Point in one of the factories as the financial manager. Um, and then I sort of worked my way up uh, mainly on the financial side within uh, divisional and group structures. Um, right to where Bravo is now as the finance person. And then, as I said, in 2013, I became the CEO. Uh, the the idea of of or the idea the the what potentially has helped you to rise the way that you have. So if you look at yourself in relation to your peers, especially if you go back maybe ten years or twenty years, whatever is appropriate, and you look at yourself against those individuals, what has made you different? Why why do you stand out when? I mean, you potentially have an equivalent technical understanding, but but yet you rose beyond them. What's the difference? What's the X factor? Um, I'd say hard work is a good start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, sometimes you, you have to stand up and be counted when you have to. So, mm-hmm. you know, I could have easily just uh, not stood up and be counted at the time that I really thought um, the group was – would have had a problem with leadership. Mm. So, um, so sometimes, yes, you have to be stand up. And, you know, being, being in a, a CEO role or a senior role, it's not a popularity contest, mm. you know, but you certainly have to do where your conscience, what your conscience uh, tells you to do. Has that been a guiding light for you, your conscience? Yeah, Gareth, I would say, um, honesty and integrity in business to me is, it's it's one of the key the key points to to be you know uh, to to follow in business. I, um, I I want to challenge you on that because it seems and it just seems on the surface. I think when we dig down into it, maybe we'll see a different story. But often what we see is so many people that are potentially dishonest getting yeah, getting yeah. ahead. Well, that was probably one of my early mistakes in business. Is that when I left practice, um, I went into industry and I went to work in, in a company that a friend recommended that I go into. And it turned out that the guy who owned the business r- really wasn't an honest person. Mm. And my problem is I trusted him okay. in, in the beginning. Um, and eventually after, after a year or so, I thought, no, I just couldn't be there anymore. And I think that was probably one of my earlier lessons is that unfortunately you, you can't 
just trust everybody openly. Um, you know, you have to understand and know the people before you can trust them. If you were to retrospectively now look back and say, what questions didn't I ask that I should have asked? What would be your top two or three questions to guide someone toward knowing someone? Because it's, it's difficult to know someone, really, isn't it? But, yeah, it's difficult because even in an interview, you know, if you, if you interview an accountant, you mm. know, you, you say to the guy, do you understand journal entries? And he says, yes, so... But until he actually passes the journal entries, you don't really know. Mm. So, so yes, it is, it is difficult. Look, we use psychometric testing, which helps us at work as well. Mm. But, um, yeah, to understand people, I think, uh, uh, and work people out, uh, is, is an advantage if, if, you, if you, if you, if, if that is part of you, you know, to be able to do that. Now, as I sit here, I get the opportunity to try and work out some really senior people, and we, we, we generally scratch the surface. What I understand about you already is that there's a certain courage and grit that you have. I want to add to that by simply adding that amongst so many other things, you've also completed seven comrades marathons. I mean, that, that's a significant thing to be able to do. Let's talk about that for a moment. I don't think I could in, in, any lifetime <laughs> have the ability to get up in the morning at 3 a.m., whatever it is, 5 a.m., run for a couple of hours in preparation on a year in advance to go and then do a race which is about 100 kilometers long uh, and still finish. That, that's something quite remarkable. Yes, it is. But um, I, I did those those, mar- those comrades when I, I used to live in Durban. And, you know, the weather in Durban is is – it's quite friendly if if you are a runner. So you know, in in summer you run without a t-shirt, and in winter you put a t-shirt on. So that's sure. um, <laughs> a bit different from running in Joburg. But what what was really great about I used to run with a crowd called Regent Harriers in Durban North. Okay. And um, towards comrades, there would be about three hundred people arriving on a street corner in the morning, and they would call a run, and off you would go. And what's great about running is it's a great leveler. You meet all sorts of people at quarter past five in the morning from all walks of life. And, you know, the fast guys go off and then the slow guys like myself all <laughs> sort of trundle off behind. And you, and you meet so many people and it's a, it's a great way to start a day. Uh, it's, it's an interesting thing that you've described, which is potentially power uh, uh, or it's given you a certain kind of power and ability in a leadership space to understand that diversity um, can be um, leveled. Through certain kinds of universal experiences, yes. uh, has it served you in in your in your work? Yeah, look, I, I think as as far as I'm concerned, I, I would like to think that um, people see me as a respectful person to whoever they are in the organisation and whoever we deal with, and um, and it's important to me that that our business is is seen to be respectful in in its dealings with people, mm. and I would hope then that in turn people would respect what I do and how I do it. Um, I think, you know, one of the early lessons I, I was told uh, by a chap I used to work for in practice was that um, you earn respect. You, you don't demand respect. Mm. And I think that's the important thing. Eh? The uh, Let's pull back into your journey because uh, what I'm also hearing is that you're quite modest and uh, you you have said, well, I, I just I just rose and it was a natural part of it. And, and but what I really like to do is understand a little bit more about some of the, the, the more conscious things that you've done as you have been rising. And, and so I'll say it slightly differently. What we understand 
And what we've asked many, many times as CEOs, what did your job and your responsibilities in your day look like when you were just starting out and what does it look like now? And so everyone will say, well, it was very technical back then, 90% technical, 10% people. If you were to flip it on its head now, what, what are you looking at? Yeah, yeah. Look, in the early days, you would arrive at work and sit in your office and, and grind through the, on the accounting side. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you would have, you know, a sort of smallish team of people reporting to you on debtors, creditors, cash book and, mm-hmm. and the like. And then as you move through the role, um, what you find is that you, you're dealing with a more diverse group of people. So it's not only accounting people. Mm. So you're sort of moving out of your comfort zone where you know the accounting side and you're dealing with salespeople, production people, technical people, HR people, dealing with customers. Um, so you've had, you have to grow a, as you go along and, um, not always easy, but, um, and people test you as as, as you mm. move along, you know. Okay. Uh, they certainly do. When you say test, is that in a positive manner? Is it a conscious well, thing? I think, you know, in the beginning, as you move from one role to the other, staff working for you as you rise will try and test you um, mm. because, you know, you've eventually got to make the hard calls. But, um, you know, maybe they'll try and go back to the person that they used to work for or, mm. or something like that. But, mm. um, you know, these are all things that – probably help you to grow as you go along. There was a a formula that I I once learned about interactions with people. And so when, even when you and I first met was just, just a short while ago, uh, immediately what happens is that there is a process that occurs, which is an acceptance process. Do we accept each other? And there will be barriers to that acceptance. And that can be as um, mundane or silly, potentially even as how we dress Mm -hmm. uh, to how we greet each other. Did you shake my hand too hard and suddenly I you for for being stronger than me or whatever the case is so there's this acceptance process and then there's a credibility thing that happens very very quickly as well and we we so we assess ourselves on credibility and then uh, to to bring it all home uh, do we leave each other or part company having empowered each other or off, offered some kind of value to each other and and that happens in a very small microcosm every time we interact with people, but it can also happen over time, mm. the cycle that unfolds. Yeah. And, and so what I'm hearing you say is that you, there, was, there were definite parts where people were testing your credibility, and you, you have to, in order to be able to remain leadership sound to them, stand that test. Yes, yes. Have you experienced moments where – uh, people have disappointed you as you potentially have tested them. So I think about the CEO that you described mm. um, that you had to replace yeah. and the board felt that you were the best replacement. Uh, other moments, maybe early on in your career where you, again, perhaps trusted someone too easily and then they didn't stand that test. Can you share? Yeah. Um, look, you, you're going to come across at various stages in your life um, – you know that uh, people that that will disappoint you. That that that's how life is. Mm. But I think uh, the important thing is um, you have to move on. You have to believe in yourself, and and you have to grow from it. So um, yeah, and even in my position now, and dealing with some people that I do deal with, yes, you come home and you are disappointed with the way things went with that person. But um, You've got to carry on. You know, you just have to pick yourself up and keep going. I'm just wondering how someone, especially the younger generation now, they are very focused. Um, often there's this this um, 
almost juxtaposition, this this thing that seems uh, like it shouldn't be together, which is they seem very inwardly focused, but then there's also this altruism that is seeping through young people's pores. They want to be part of something bigger and and better and greater. And I'm just wondering um, how you have also then dealt, as you are now more and more senior in a role, with, with... diversity from an age perspective so how have you been able to work with people that are are, are brimming with confidence not always real confidence mm. um, but then also they, they they're pushing other kind of boundaries mm. just an interesting question there yeah look I, I think you can always work with somebody who has got the right attitude and the right attitude would be what can they do for the company before, what can they get out of the company? Mm. And and yeah, I, that's a that's a really good point. Uh, yeah. The right attitude is not selfish. what I can get out. Mm. It's what I can put in. Good and, taste. And then in doing so, it'll just come my way. Mm. But but don't don't go with the attitude. Well, you know, this is what the company owes me because that to me, and, and it's often when people say to me, "Geez, you know, my 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 son's running in a little sports meeting on Wednesday morning. Do you mind if I put in a leaf for him?" I say, "Please, man." If you don't count the hours, I don't count the hours. Mm, mm. And I think that's, that's a great way to work. Mm. You know, so you treat people responsibly and with respect and they must just uh, give it back to you like that, you know. Yeah, what I, what I appreciate about what you're sharing is uh, Mark Ashton. I know he won't mind that I drop his name into the mix here. He, the former CEO of MoneyWeb. He, on an ongoing basis, because of his desire to reach out and to support, gets uh, emails from individuals, and they're always looking for something free. Now, mm. this is an interesting, interesting point. This idea of mutual, be- something that's mutually beneficial. Mm. And what, anyway, what's making me think about this is just what you're describing, which is don't, don't look out for yourself. If you can solve someone else's problems, they're going to probably give you their money to solve their problems. Yeah. And in this particular, in Mark's in case, he's on an ongoing basis getting people that just want stuff for them, but yeah. they're not they're not solving a problem. No. And, and so Mark's not interested in engaging with him, not because he's not a nice guy, but mm. he, because he's he's bought into um, the the idea, the notion that well, you need to have a mutually beneficial transaction that occurs. I think so too. Yes, and and I think as a leader, you can sort of. Um, Teach your employees that that's the attitude and that's the attitude you would like them to have as well. Mm. Um, and often it works. Often it works. We've got some great people at Bravo and, um, and they certainly, a lot of them don't count the cost to themselves. They, they see what they can do for the business first. Uh, as part of a, a retention strategy, it's always good to find good people up front. So mm. not, not try to retain them through different means and money and, and, and stock interests and so on. Uh, in, in your experience, how have you been able to keep the best people, especially when uh, there are potentially bigger salaries and bigger paychecks and bigger options waiting in the wings um, and, and – I mean, people are quite aggressive often when they make mm. those kind of approaches. How have you done the retention thing? How have you balanced that? Yeah, look, the, the furniture industry, especially on the manufacturing side, isn't what you might call a sexy industry. Um, mm. You know, it, it, as a chartered accountant, I'm sure you'd prefer to to be working in uh, merchant banking or or, or, or that sort of mm, thing, or, yeah. um, and it will be a stockbroker and you know earn nice big profit shares and all that. But um, I, I think. I think it's the work environment that um, 
Yeah, I think it's the work environment that people get um, get to enjoy. Um, it's a challenging environment, certainly. I mean, furniture industry is certainly not easy, but um, it's it's the environment and the support that you've got from your other your your, your colleagues and and your peers. And um, yeah, I think it's uh, once they say once you got sawdust in your in your veins, you become unemployable elsewhere. So, oh, really? Is yeah. true? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I won't let the sawdust get into my <laughs> or too close to it. Uh, let, let's jump back into a little bit more of your story. We, and and w- one of our favorite questions to ask is, if you, when you reflect back on, to, on, on your career, there was a moment, or there probably multiple moments, but there was a moment that that you probably hung your head in shame or tried to hide hide from someone because you made a mistake. And you probably yeah. could just say it was it was pure naivety that that this mistake happened. What was that mistake for you, and potentially what did you take from it? But what was that mistake? Yeah, Gareth. Um, well, let me put it this way: one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make, and the mistake was that I delayed the decision. Mm, okay. Um, it was it was to close to close a factory, and um, that's a difficult thing. Uh, to that that I had. The, the the factory had uh, employed about 1,200 people. Mm. And, you know, it's not only the, the 1,200 people, but you can maybe, you know, multiply that by, say, five or eight or ten people who rely on those people. Exactly. And, um, yeah, that goes back uh, in my early days as as the CEO when we had a strike. And um, and just after that strike where there was quite a long strike and then there was another strike, and and the, the division just wasn't able to to recover from that strike, and and the board said to me, "You've got to close this business." And I said, "No." And we we tried to come up with all sorts of plans, uh, mm-hmm. the management and myself. And um, I was really trying to support the management, and and eventually, after we lost quite a lot of money, and um, and if if we hadn't if I hadn't taken that decision, I'm sure it would have had a real bad detrimental effect on the rest of the group. Mm. So that was really where we got to is that if we didn't close that business, then it would really affect our other divisions. Um, but And then I had to go to the board and say, you know, I'm sorry, I should have made the decision earlier. Um, but that was tough. That was, you know, yeah. to... That, that I can imagine. Yeah, especially, it, the, especially the emotional burden that yeah. comes with that. Yeah. But, but lead, to your point, and, I, and I've heard it so many times before, leadership is a lone, or can be a lonely road and it has to be. You know, even though you work within teams, at the end of the day, you know, you get into bed at night and you think, you know, I've got to make the decision. Mm. And sometimes you have to make the call. And... Um, that's how it is, but that's what you got to accept with with the role. Yeah. Do you rely on on external sources uh, for for either coaching or mentoring or advice, or are you are you a bit more of a lone wolf type of individual? Which, which there are. There's different. There's different types of people in the world. Because I do know that the person that you most want to meet is a coach of sorts, which in in Robin Sharma. So you yeah, have I've a great. Read, I've read his books. You, you've got, got a great deal books, yeah. of of admiration yeah. and respect for him. But do you do you actively go out and search and interact one on one, or is it, or do you hold a distance and rely on books and other insights? No, Gareth, I I, I was very lucky. Um, when I took over as the CEO, there was a, a guy that uh, was in our organisation. He was running one of the divisions, and he had been with the company for about 35 years and he had he had grown up through the ranks to to be the the chief exec of this division and um i chatted to him and i said don't you want to come to head office and become the chief operating officer Mm. and help me and guide me 
And we worked together. I mean, I think we only let him retire probably at 67 or 68 <laughs> eventually. Um, but yeah, so he retired about 18 months to two years ago. But really, Mike was uh, a great sounding board, a great friend, um, just a great guy to have next to you, you know, in, in your learning years. You know, mm-hmm. you know, so, so I was very lucky. Yeah. I mean, and you were lucky there for a number of reasons, which is the ability to learn from, but then also yeah. I, I, this idea of trust. The ability to trust someone yeah. is it cannot be underestimated, uh, yeah. especially in an in an environment where often things can uh, either go south or be cutthroat or whatever the case might be, and and so that idea of trust mustn't be uh, overstated or underestimated in any form or fashion. Uh, in fact, Greg Solomon, uh, CEO of of McDonald's South Africa, says that one of the ratings that he does, which is very subjective, mm. um, is he will look at an individual and he'll 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 say, "Okay, Greg, let me put let me rate you on two things. Do I respect you?" And then he'll give you a rating out of ten, mm. and then uh, and then he'll do uh, that on on the trust side as well. So, do I trust you, or, or how much do I trust you? Rating mm. out of ten, subjective, uh, of course, informed by a whole bunch of other things. And, and then he'll multiply those two numbers together. And if it doesn't make, if it doesn't go over 80, then he's not going to pull you into his team. Yeah. And so, t- I mean, you, you can, you, you're good at math. So, yeah. uh, you'll know that to get 80 is a tall order. Nine and a nine, eight and, eight and a ten, something, something there. But it's a good or an interesting way that he measures how he, or how to work with someone. And it's quite subjective as well. Yeah, and I think it should be important to young people to to understand that you know your working career spans spans a number of years, and um, if you want to succeed, you certainly have to build up trust. Um, uh, you must be able to you must be able to let people trust you, and and um, and respect you as well. And uh, if they haven't got that trust and respect, you're going to go nowhere eventually. How, how do you do that in the face of? Performance demands though. So uh, someone, someone, you've developed a really good relationship with someone. They trust you. Uh, the team trusts you, but this person isn't really performing the way that they need to, or potentially something else happens in the market and you don't see it coming and this person's in the, in the, the firing line. How do you deal with someone, dismiss someone, uh, cut someone out, uh, but while other people are watching and still maintain their trust? That's a tough one. No, uh, I don't know if you've experienced it. No, it certainly is a tough one. And, and, um, yeah, every now and again, you have to say to somebody, look, you just don't fit into the team or, you know, we're going to have to part company. Um, but, uh, you certainly don't want to do that. And you, you try and work with the person as much as possible. Um, but eventually sometimes you do have to make a decision to, to cut ties. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess there has to be very clear, well communicated reasons why you're doing it. Yes. And well communicated, Perhaps in that moment to the other team would be inappropriate, but at some point there would yes. have to be communication that spills over into the other team members yeah. so that they can understand what's going on. And what, yeah, what the process is that you went through as well. Yeah. So that leads me into a, a question, which is, uh, when, when you look at yourself and you reflect on your own leadership, what are the, what are the two or three things that, that you lean on time and time and time again? That have seen you through the years. That your your three pillars of CEO leadership. Um, I, th- I think one of the most important, as we've spoken about quite a bit, Gareth, is let's say honesty and integrity. Mm. I think uh, that that's vital. Um, 
teamwork, um, learning from other team members and uh, sharing ideas with other team members. And then as you grow into leadership roles, you, you've got to take accountability. And, um, you know, you certainly can't be a CEO if the buck doesn't stop with you. Let's put it that way. So. I, I, I'm, I accept accountability mm. as something that has to happen. But what happens if things aren't actually your fault? You, you, you still have to take you, accountability. And you're still standing in front of a board and you still have to answer for something. But what happens if something's genuinely not your fault? Yeah, these things do happen, but uh, at the end of the day, you're the face of the business, and um, you do take accountability. I think it's just important that uh, you know th- these unfortunate situations. You, you just make sure it don't happen too often, yeah. because then they certainly look at you and say, "Well, it is your fault." But um, I think if you're honest with your board, they'll understand. Um, but uh, that's where I think the honesty and integrity comes to play. I, I like that. The the idea that what you mustn't potentially do is hide behind either excuses or or yeah. something that, that uh, you mustn't hide the problem either. So you must be very open and very honest with those that you're reporting into as well. Yeah. Look, if there's bad news, you tell them the bad news. You don't try and cover it up um, and hope you can trade your way out of it or mm. or do anything like that. You know, um, and sometimes it's difficult to deliver the bad news. But um, to me, it's, it's it's better to deliver the bad news and then say what your plan is to recover from it. Mm. But um, uh, I'd much prefer to be that way than not to not to be upfront about things. Yeah, I. I, I so I appreciate that, and what I appreciate is also the fact that you practice what you preach. So you, you've described a scenario where you were sitting next to someone who took a great deal of bravery to do it, and you delivered news. You delivered yeah. your 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 verdict and your opinion. Yeah, you have to. How have how, how if I may? How do you deal with disappointment? How do you deal with with the frustration of of what is sometimes very difficult, heavy burdens? That you have to carry as a CEO. Yeah, I think probably I I bottle things up a bit, but okay. um, I still try and stay fit. So <laughs> um, I get out there and uh, even in the gym, sometimes it's it's a good place to help clear your head when you're sitting on a bike, mm. a stationary bike in the gym, and um, and sometimes you helps you know you solve your own problems really mm. just by having those quiet moments to yourself. So. Um, I think fitness plays a plays a big role in, in helping to to deal with the stress and frustrations. We we had a conversation with Dr. John D. Martini. Um, maybe a, a name you're familiar with, but he's a very big uh, fan of telling us that we're a multifaceted individual, that mm-hmm. there is a physical side to us, there's a mental side to us, and whether we, we want to acknowledge or not, certainly uh, his words, there's a spiritual side to us. And so we have to be congruent, number one, That's and so his his voice is repeatedly, if there's something off or amiss or you, you're feeling unhealthy, you, there's a misalignment across those three mm-hmm. persons or characters that, that makes you. Um, but then also you must you must use or bend the, the the rules of each of those to suit you. And what I hear you saying is certainly from a uh, there's probably a mental element to it, but certainly from a physical element, you've bent your body to respond to you. And there's a physiological thing that happens when you st- when you're exercising; it makes you happier. Yeah, and also um, when when I was writing board exam, uh, in probably 1978 somewhere around there, uh, there was a guy who 
He's probably the most clever person I've ever met, a mm. guy called Charles Hutting. Okay. And he used to run what we call the board course right around the country. And in the first lecture that he gave us, um, he said, you guys need to be fit to write the board exam. And that's mm. what really started me. And the next morning I went out and I probably did a couple of kilometers on the pavement. Okay. And, um, yeah, that's, that's what started my sort of journey on, on, on the fitness side. Uh, let's put it that way. So, so can he also take the credit for you potentially finishing Conrad's? Is, is, well, that's where it all started. Yeah. yeah. That's where it yeah. started. Yeah. Well, no, thank you, right. Charles. Yeah. No. That, that's a remarkable, re- remarkable opportunity or, or, or thing that he's been, been mm. able to open up for you. You've got a philosophy in life that you never take anything for granted. Where does that come from? Uh, you know, I think certainly you, you've got to appreciate the blessings that you've got and um, really uh, just um, you must just appreciate what you've got and, and, and don't take anything. As I say, don't take anything for granted. Really, it's, uh, you know, your um, – you don't deserve everything, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, uh, you know, if you work hard and you can enjoy the fruits of your life, well, that's great. But um, certainly nobody, I think, can demand or deserve until they've put in the effort. So don't mm-hmm. take anything for granted. I, I'm, you know, I, your I, health you don't take for granted either, quite frankly. I reflect you know? I reflect on, on a number of um, people that I've interacted with and where they and, – and I'm probably one of those people. We live – out in the future mm-hmm. we, we live we try and live 10, ste- 10 steps ahead and really what that does is it eliminates possible opportunities for happiness and contentment and, and probably excitement and a whole range of other important emotions uh, are you like that do you live a little bit out there or does does this philosophy guide you to be in the moment a little bit more oh, look i certainly do like to set myself goals um I mean, just something to, if you say live in the future, my, my, my next goal is to ride Bergen Bush with my daughter in, okay, in October. Lovely, lovely. So, you know, I do like to have things to work towards. Um, and uh, I think that's what drives you as well, you know. Mm. It's just, so you've got to have some sort of aim in life um, and, and something to work for. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, especially in your position, what you always are doing is you're always chasing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the board is always expecting you to chase something. Uh, is there a moment that you have been chasing something, but as a result of, of perhaps a blind focus, a laser-like focus, mm-hmm. uh, you've, you've missed something? Yeah, look. And how do you avoid that? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I'm sorry, I'm asking all these, <laughs> all these questions, but, 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 but you're giving really substantial answers. Yeah. And we don't always get that. We often get fluff and you're not doing that. You're, you're helping us. Yeah, look, uh, I, I'm, you know, everybody's different and everybody approaches a leadership role in a different way. And maybe one of my failings is I, I try to get into the detail as well. So, mm. um, you know, it's, uh, I, I keep on writing things down because, um, I need to check on them or make sure something's happened. So, um, yeah, you've, you've got to be very careful. I think, uh, you know, you can't let things slip through the cracks in, in our position. You know, you, you must make sure you must follow up. Um, and, you know, so, so for example, uh, very rarely, but every now and again, I would get an email from a customer who said I didn't get good service. Mm. And I would go back and phone them and then make sure that the whole loop is closed, that um, whatever the bad service was, 
is definitely uh, resolved and I'd phone the person back and I'd say, are you happy? And they'd say, thanks very much. So, you know, you, I think you've got to close loops as well as, as you go through. Uh, so. th- there's a, a leader and his background is in aviation and the way he says it is you, you've got to land the plane. That's it. Just, just get the plane down. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as it's in the air, there's potential for disaster, but land, yeah. the, land the plane, get the projects landed and then we're in a good space. That's it. Yeah. A final question or two as we wind the conversation down. I understand that, that you, your first paycheck was a hundred rand. I don't know where you heard that, but that's true. Yeah? <laughs> I mean, that's a, a, the world has changed so much. It's, it's quite remarkable yeah. that you went, you've gone from a hundred rand to whatever it is that you earn now, but it's well, going to be multiples of that. Uh, that was in 73. Mm. Um, that's what article clocks earned. And, mm. um, I remember it was a gross of a hundred rand and 10 rand PAYE. Yeah. Wow. So netted out 90, but then probably six years later, I was up to 950 rand and I qualified and I got a 50 rand increase. I oh, went to 1,000 rand as a charter accountant. <laughs> that must have been <laughs> quite something. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. Um, the, as you reflect back on, on those days, what, what are you hoping sticks from that period to now? Because the world is changing rapidly. We've got all this technological innovation that's happening and it's, it's remarkable and it's exciting, but there's also... A potential loss, uh, you know, the baby being being thrown out with the bathwater. Mm. What what are you most hoping that those that, that a young CEO who is listening or a young future CEO that is listening doesn't throw out as they are tempted into these new environments and new technologies? You know, Gareth, I think. Um I mean, accounting should be and and reporting of of financials and all that should be so simple. It should just be based on honesty and integrity. Mm. And if I think if you stick to that principle right through your life, then I think uh, I think then you'll be a good accountant. Okay, honesty and integrity. I think so. Are you a reader? I read a bit, yeah, a little bit. Your the the what what book has had the most impact on you? Oh, I would say um it's a legacy. Um I think it's Legacy by a guy, a New Zealander, who I think is 15 um, points on leadership, and and he, and he, a guy called Kerr, I think it was, mm. and um, and he wrote about the All Blacks and their culture, um, and and really a humble culture that they've got, mm. and they're such a great team, and um, and and basically, I think the whole book was about that you need to leave the jersey in a better space. When you hand it on to somebody else, mm. than what you picked it up in, and I think, I think in business as well, I think that you can learn from that. That you need to leave the company in a better space than when you started. Mm. The 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 process that I described earlier, and I like the the fact that you the title is legacy. Uh, the the process that I described uh, to you earlier, which was this acceptance first, then there's credibility, and then you need to leave something better than you found it, including the individuals that you're interacting with. Right. The word that when I was first taught this process, the word that they used there was legacy. And so uh, we, I think in using some of the words that we've used here, we've closed the loop on on, on, on that. I think we're, and, and certainly what I felt like has happened here in studio is that you are leaving us empowered. You, there is certainly going to be a legacy and echoing of your influence sharing with us in studio. May I ask you one more question before sure. we part company? And it's a question we ask all, all 
executives, all entrepreneurs, everyone that walks through the door that we talk to, and we ask them the quite simply, if you could go back in time and talk to the young future CEO, 20-year-old you, what is that one piece of advice that you would give yourself if you were able to do that? Um, I think, uh, well, the, the, the path I've followed is the, the, the path of hard work. And um, I certainly, I believe that that's the way you do succeed. You know, some people might be able to succeed not working too hard, but um, that's, that's the road that I, that I was on and uh, that's how it's got to me to where I am at the moment. Greg, thank you so very much for joining us here in studio. You're the CEO of Bravo Group, a large, the largest, in fact, manufacturer of furniture in the country. That's right. Yeah. You represent a number of large brands that are household names. You support them by delivering on their promise. And uh, we are so very grateful that you've been able to help us as we have been able to talk to you uh, about how to do that ourselves. There's a, um, you'll leave uh, the impression that you're leaving with me certainly is one of uh, f- the fact, and you've, we, I'm just echoing what you've said, which is integrity, 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 integrity. And so I hope that that's part of what the message is that our listeners have heard today. Thank you again for joining us in studio. Good. Thanks for having me. All right, that's all we have time for this week. We'll see you same time, same place next week with another CEO, another entrepreneur. Remember to go to cliffcentral.com or futureceos.com to download uh, the podcasts. And there are a number of different features. Ask an expert, power woman, meet the CEO, and a number of others. Enjoy those there. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Future CEOs on cliffcentral.com. This is cliffcentral.com.